In a world of EMS podcasters, EMS Office Hours is the only live podcast bringing you the latest topics and opinions in EMS. Turn down your scanner and turn up your speakers as we join Jim Hoffman and Josh Knapp on their latest EMS podcasting journey. Hi, welcome to EMS Office Hours. This is Jim Hoffman. Listen, uh, today is a recorded session you're listening to, and I thought what would be a great idea, since I am not around the next two Sundays, is to give you sort of a best of type thing, but not a best of EMS Office Hours today. I want to give you a best of the ProMed Network. And I want to mention, of course, that even though this is a recording, we are still sponsored by EMS Manager to go visit them at emsmanager.net for a free trial of their innovative and easy-to-use EMS employee scheduling and management software. I encourage you also, guys, go check out Josh Knapp. He's not on the show today, but he, of course, is my diligent co-host. Go check him out, guys, at wantonnew.com. It's W-A-N-T-Y-N-U.com. Check out my site at emsseo.com as well for a lot of great study and training resources, free and paid, uh, including, including even private coaching that is available to you if you need that level of help in your studies. Now, of course, I encourage you as well, check out EMS Office Hours over on iTunes, guys. Subscribe to the podcast there, and do me a favor. If you do subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, go ahead and review it, uh, rate it on iTunes for me, so that uh, I know that you guys are enjoying the, the, the episodes, and I also know that uh, I'm getting some feedback there, and iTunes likes it when there's some interaction with the content that they have posted. Okay, so go do that. I've got a link below in the show notes here at emsofficehours.com and you can go ahead and just click on that link and go to the iTunes page and subscribe and go ahead and rate it for me. So I really do appreciate that. Um, Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about a few of the episodes that I selected and give you some little excerpts from those uh, episodes. Now the first one is from a a frequent uh, visitor and listener to EMS Office Hours, John Broyles. And John has his own podcast, uh, One Union 801, the webcast. Uh, a little bit of a mouthful, but John uh, does uh, tackle some content uh, uh, about EMS and and uh, its relation to um, even the military, uh, you know, end of it. So this episode was back in June, and it was titled "Let's Not Hurt Ourselves." And John was joined by Brian Fass. And Brian is over on EMS1.com and talks a lot about fitness. And they talked about avoiding injuries in EMS. And we did that a little bit on EMS Office Hours a while back as well. But in this discussion, Brian talks about some exercises that you can do to help avoid injuries and how focusing on certain body areas can make a difference in your mobility. And he even suggests that in... In essence, and the, the, the bottom line is, EMS providers are power lifters. Let's take a listen here, our John and Brian are talking about. Well, that's a loaded question because we can go a thousand different directions with it. Um, I'll give you t- 
two different paths we can look at. Number one is mobility. So when we go out and we train medics and firefighters to lift better, to lift safer, we look commonly at the ankle, the hips, and the upper back, shoulders, thoracic spine, three body areas. Uh, we can throw in the hip flexors and make it four that are commonly restricted. They don't move normally because of our lifestyles, because of sitting too much, because of improper exercise, et cetera, et cetera. And with poor mobility, so i.e. we don't stretch enough, we don't use self-care tools like foam rollers, massage sticks. Uh, we don't go get a massage once a month. Um, when those body segments don't move right, no matter how strong you are, no matter how much you train, your chance of getting hurt is going to be exponentially higher because you're not moving right. So your body has to get the movement. It has to generate power from somewhere else that it's not supposed to get it, and therefore a lot of injuries occur. So the first answer I would give you is stretching, um, self-care techniques, uh, which would be using a, a foam roller, using a massage stick, going to the massage therapist. You know, one of the things we teach, which is a, a really can become a hallmark of our program, is a simple tennis ball. You know, we train medics how to basically become their own trigger point therapists and their own massage therapist, and allow them to not only condition the tissue better, get rid of those 70% of the unreported minor back injuries but at the same time increase um, mobility in the body so they move better. And if you move better, your biomechanics are better. The second half of that answer is obviously, you know, we have a physical job. Uh, there's no way to, to think around that. You know, we are essentially powerlifters. We, we get paid to lift and move heavy objects all the time. You know, we're highly trained, um, street-educated medically trained powerlifters. So, you know, I don't care how you think about it, we have to be strong enough to do the job. So any type of exercise that requires you to stand, squat, lunge, balance is beneficial. Um, sitting down to exercise does no good whatsoever. We don't lift patients sitting down. We don't move patients sitting down. So when we're looking at choosing, you know, job-specific exercises that are going to prevent injury, first and foremost, everything we do wants, you know, we want it to be in a standing position, in a slight squatting position. Should it, it should have a lunge involved into it. We should probably be standing on one leg for some of these movements. So two different ways we can take that that question. Both of them are the right answer, though. Okay, so stretch more and literally stand up and move more. Absolutely. You know, there, there's there's plenty of, of anecdotal and, and some pretty decent research out there to show that, you know, a crew doing nothing more than tossing a Frisbee in the driveway between calls reduces their chance of injury. They're cutting, they're jumping, they're having fun, they're burning calories. Just a simple activity like that can, you know, benefit them in their service. So, yeah, then bottom line, get your butt off the couch and do something. 
okay, so you know, that made me get up out of my desk chair that I've been occupying for about the last few hours while I was doing my show prep. Um, so anything basically, so anything from walking around the block to throwing a Frisbee. Absolutely. I mean, we, you know, if you can even go back on to, I know you mentioned you, you pulled a bunch of my articles off EMS-1. Um, we filmed, I think the better part of three years ago now, we filmed a whole uh, series of stretching and uh, on-duty, in-uniform exercises for EMS-1 that are all video-based. So you can actually go on EMS-1, um, or I think you can go in my column on EMS-1 and, and dig in the archive a little bit, but there's, a, I think, four videos that show using a, a, a simple resistance band, the same kind you can get at a sporting goods store. We <laughs> strapped it onto the back of the truck, um, you know, onto the grab bar, and we're, we were we filmed all the exercises and the stretches on the apparatus. So they don't have to be complicated, and they don't have to be fancy, but they can be very effective, and you can get basically get paid to do them. Okay, so even that would say, bringing in a kid's bicycle tube out of his bike to use as a band or something to pull or stretch with. You could. I mean, you can, what's nice now is you can go to basically any big box retail store. Okay, so uh, pretty interesting stuff there. I, I, I hope that maybe um, goes into the entire podcast. I've got a link for that below as well. But um, thinking about some of those uh, suggestions that Brian makes, it kind of makes sense, I think, right? Um, so go check that out. Check Brian out over to EMS One as well. Let him know you heard about this little snippet here at EMS Office Hours, also, and uh, you know, give him some feedback on what you think about some of the suggestions that that he made. Now, the next one uh, was over at my uh, the Medicast, and if you don't know the Medicast, that is by Jamie Davis, the Pod Medic. Now. I love Jamie. He actually was a big motivator for me when I first started podcasting and doing a lot of audio on my websites and, and, and starting the show way back when, when I first did my initial very first interview and audio podcast with Brian, Dr. Brian Bledsoe uh, you know, about six years ago. But Jamie has great podcasts over at themedicast.com, and he actually talked about uh, the title of his episode was EMS Partners with Public Health, um, and this was episode 343. And what I pulled out of this one was a little bit about how Jamie talked about reorganization of volun volunteers, okay? And he suggested and, and you know, kind of focused a little bit on, on volunteers and some of the challenges that they face when they're moving from volunteer to a paid service. So let's break away here and uh, listen to Jamie real quick on this segment of his show. Starting off this week's news is a look at one of my neighboring counties' reorganization of their volunteer EMS and fire services. Harford County, Maryland is a place that is experiencing growing pains as they struggle to begin the transition from a largely volunteer EMS and fire service to one that includes a larger number of paid members and responders. 
A meeting was held there recently to look at reorganizing how the county spends their money on emergency services. They're currently giving it to many different private fire companies that provide service to the county, and that's similar to what happens in my county. There's a privately organized team of EMS providers as well that the fire companies pay to provide service in some of the most populated areas, and this is run by those fire companies too. However, this county acknowledges that this system may not be enough to last far into the future, at least not into the near future. The county leaders, are, along with some of the leadership of the various fire companies, are looking for ways that provide EMS services and continue to provide high quality service at the lowest cost. While this will likely include continuing to use volunteer EMS providers in the least populated areas of the county, the towns and cities populated most densely will most assuredly need full-time paid EMS staff around the clock. This is a great article to look at when you're considering something similar facing your community and of course the world in general and suburban areas around the United States making this transition. Volunteer EMS services are still the norm in many areas. It's important to note that volunteer does not mean unprofessional. I have to make that distinction. In fact, I would argue that a volunteer who works hard to maintain their certification in their spare time is probably more professional than some of the paid EMS professionals we know of. What are your thoughts about volunteer EMS services? Do you think they hurt EMS in general, or do you think they're a bonus and a way to provide service to underserved communities? Let me know. Send me an email and let me know a comment on this article or something like that. I look forward to hearing from you. So what would you do if you were charged with a crime of murder that occurred at a time when you were completely passed out drunk in a hospital? Okay, so, uh, you know, listen, that's just a very short snippet of Jamie's show. I encourage you, again, go check out the full episode. The link is below. Um, and listen to some of his uh, uh, comments as well about crime scene contamination that was included in this episode also. Um, you know, there are a lot of challenges for the volunteers these days, um, and it's the type of thing that is a hot topic in EMS and any time of day right um, and of course this topic of the of agencies that, that have to move from volunteer to paid in order to provide coverage it does present I think very unique challenges so uh, let me know as well what you think about that below in the comments now uh, next uh, segment I pulled out um, this was over from the EMS educast and of course my good friend uh, Greg Freeze is the primary host there. Um, and another hot topic I thought, which was pretty cool, this was episode 173 there, um, and they talked about pain management in EMS. Now, they were joined by another favorite of mine, Peter Canning, and uh, Peter actually did some uh, uh, presentation with me over at the emswebsummit.com, and Peter talked a lot about the history of EMS. And, oh, I, that was probably, I think, my favorite um, presentation from the EMS Web Summit. You know, because Peter really put in perspective how far we, we've we come in EMS and in, in, in a lot of things as far as equipment and training and protocols and things like that. So um, check that out at the EMS Web Summit. But uh, Peter joined uh, uh, the Educast crew, including Greg, um, and they talked about pain management in EMS. And I cut a little part away here where Greg talks about having empathy and 
that relationship to a patient when you as a provider had a personal experience with pain. So take a listen to this portion of uh, the Educast here and listen to Peter's take on this as well. Um, along with, they talked a little bit as well about pain management with children, protocols, and also the difference that pain management can make to your patient and even the patient's family. Let's take a listen to this. I don't know if this is a good benchmark or not, but I find generally if a patient will consent to an IV line to get the pain medication, they probably need the pain medication. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, back to your point about the, uh, the guys coming back to you. I mean, this is a trouble with, like, that I have with sort of, I haven't figured out how to best articulate this, but this notion of, you know, not having empathy until we have a personal experience. You know, this is a good example of, of sort of like a, a, they then had their own experience with pain and like, oh, I get it now. But, you know, we can't necessarily wait for everyone that's a healthcare provider to have right. their own right. severe pain experience. Um, to to that you know, and I don't want to wish that on anyone. I mean, right. I want to yeah. say like, yeah, leap off your roof and see yeah. what it feels like. Right. Um, and I think if you, if you could find a champion within the service, who you know, there's always one who can relate to that within the service or in the surrounding area who can talk to the paramedics to say, you know, look, this is we need to be more compassionate uh, about this. Then you probably make some headway. Well, do you think a touchy-feely approach works, or do you think it's got to be more, whether it be if you're in fire service and there's already that hierarchical, like, this is the way we're going to do it, or is it more of here's the facts and go forth? Peter, any thoughts on that one? Um, um, I, I would do whatever it takes to get it. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm more of the touchy-feely, you know, nice job for it. But if, you know, if you know, I come run across a run form where, um, you know, the first responders run form says the patient's crying and screaming, my leg is broken, I'm in pain, and then I read the paramedics run form that, you know, doesn't address it, and then I read the hospital chart that says, you know, the patient crying that they're 10 to 10 pain, you know, and I see how much they get medicated there, then I call the medic in and say, you know, this is unacceptable. I mean, you need to be able to treat pain just as you would treat somebody in anaphylaxis or somebody in V-fib. It's not a it's not a choice if, if somebody's in pain and, and has a documented injury. And, well, Peter, do your protocols uh, extend to children as well or strictly adults? Yeah, yeah okay. they go to children, and um, we have a children's hospital in our area, and the, uh, they are very pro-pain management. They love it when medics medicate the kids. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, I do notice that I, even myself um, – I'm a little more, or I used to be a little more reluctant with the kids, and sometimes I would call the doctor to confer before I gave it to them. But uh, um, basically what they say is that kids tolerate the medicine very well. And uh, I've had a number of really good experiences with that lately, um, so I'm, I'm very aggressive with it. I think the main thing that I found with the pain management over time is it's changed my whole outlook on EMS. It's you know, it's, we very rarely have a chance to, to save a life. You know, maybe once or twice a year you get a case where, you you know, you really your actions made a difference in saving somebody that might otherwise not have been saved. 
But every day you have a chance to make someone's life better, to take away somebody's pain. And the patients and their families are so grateful when you show up and their, you know, grandmother or mother or whatever is lying on the floor and is, you know, crying with a hip fracture and you take care of them. You know, you, you pat them and you medicate them and you talk nice to them and it's just, it's wonderful. And you can have this kind of experience every day in EMS uh, if you embrace the, you know, the positive uh, pain management uh, philosophy. I think that's really well well put. I had a, a question about just the, the how we assess pain and the adequacy of uh, of the pain scales that I'm guessing most of them were developed with in mind of assessing pain when somebody's actually at the hospital um, and not necessarily for field assessment. Do you think it makes any difference? Do, do you think there's better ways or different ways we could be assessing pain? Uh, um. Yeah, it, it's, you know, I, I push the pain management all the time, um, and we have our, our guideline is if somebody's a four or greater, then you should medicate them. You should ask them if they want pain medicine. If they're at a four or higher and have not been resolved with BLS-type procedures. But, you know, and I, you know, in one sense, I totally agree we can't judge somebody else's pain, but then you run across somebody who you ask them what pain they're in and, they, you know, I'm a 10,000 or, you know, I'm a 10 while they're chatting on the cell phone with somebody and you can't see an injury. And, right. and it's hard, you know, it's, it's hard to sort of balance the, what you believe in and what you're seeing with your eyes. Um, I, I try to always err on the side of the patient. Um, the, the other day I had a funny, I was, I'm precepting a new paramedic and I'm driving, I hear him in the back and, we picked up somebody that was, you know, it seemed was like a pretty minor thing. And he asked him, you know, what's your pain? And the guy said a 10. And he said, you know, no, let me ask that again. Zero is no pain, and a 10 is like an alligator biting your leg off pain. And the guy goes, well, mine would be a 10. <laughs> and I almost, almost drove off the road listening to it. But, you know, you know in the end, I, I can't say that I always follow the pain scale, but I... I I try to, um, but I think if you strictly do the pain scale, you you got to have a little bit more judgment in there too. But it's I don't think the right, the exactly the right thing has come up yet. Well, on, on the flip side too, I, I mean I've I've had patients who I didn't think were in a lot of pain, and I neglected to ask them on a pain scale till you know ten minutes into the call, and then when I ask them, they say ten out of ten. And, and, you know, my sense from them is this is someone who just really grins and bears it. Right. Uh, then they're in genuine intense pain. And, and, you know, shame on me for not, you know, assessing it sooner. Yeah. One of, one of our EMS physicians uh, was telling me a story. Um, he's actually from, from Vancouver, Canada. So he was up there and he was having a kidney stone. Mm. And he's sort of an expressionless guy. And uh, he told the nurse, you know, he asked for some Dilaudid. Um, and then she, like, pulled the curtain, and he heard her whispering to the doctor saying, you know, he says, you know, he's in pain and he wants some more Dilaudid, but he doesn't look like he's in pain. And, you know, this guy's telling yeah. me, Tom Pace, he says, I'd never been in such excruciating pain in my life, but right. he tell looking at his face. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how our perception works. We want people to express some emotion. Right, right. Yeah. Well, people, want, people want Barack Obama to get angry. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's 
it's not his personality. You know? well, I mean, uh, on the flip side, we've probably all three of us had patients where, you know, the urgent care, I remember these guys that would drive the power nailer through the wood and into their hand and say, well, what's your pain? And they kind of move their hand around and look at the wood and the nail and be like, well, I don't know, four or five. Right. And yeah. Getting back to what my preceptor first told me is you only medicate someone when it hurts, you know, for you looking at them. I've had patients. All right, again, another, I think, pretty nice little snippet there. Um, I encourage you to go check out the entire episode. Again, links for these are all at the bottom of the blog here at emsofficehours.com. Uh, go check them out. If you do go listen to the full show, make sure you tell them that you heard about it here at EMS Office Hours. Let them know that we are spreading the love and giving them quick shout-outs for their shows. And i got two more uh, uh, best, sort of best of the ProMed Network um, right now. But what I want to talk a little bit about is the uh, sponsor EMS Manager. You know, like I said, they have sponsored EMS Office Hours. They've been consistently helping EMS agencies save time and energy with their innovative web-based software. It, for st- it is for staff scheduling and management. Now, this also has a mobile app. It's accessible from anywhere on uh, the web. You can get it on smartphones, other mobile devices. Um, very easy to use into web uh, interface. Okay. Um, again, anywhere on the world, world, world wide web. I always have a problem saying that word or those three words together. It's kind of a yeah, world wide web, world wide web. You gotta try to try that out and see if you like that one. So you can check it on you know on the web. Get your own schedule. You managers and staff can both oversee and manage and make changes to employee schedules from pretty much anywhere. Um, one Indiana EMS service manager had called called scheduling a part time job just by itself, right? And if you've done scheduling, you know that that is true. But they also said with EMS manager. They've been able to save an, uh, a lot of time and schedule an entire month in just a few hours. And that really is a lot of you know, saving, you think about it, of time and money for the agency, especially if you're a service that's struggling to make ends meet these days. Um, so go check them out, guys, emsmanager.net. Now, it is affordable. Okay, They price it based on the size of your organization and because it's web-based. That means your employee schedule and software is located in the cloud, and that means that there is no additional IT cost that you have to worry about. Now, there's always free training, always free tech support, and free system software updates. So if you want this for your system, check it out. It's free. It's customizable. You can get a trial of it at EMS Manager. It's emsmanager.net. Now, since we are doing a best of the ProMed network, it's extra important that I mention that I want to thank EMS Manager for sponsoring EMS Office Hours and all the other shows that are on the ProMed Network. EMS Manager is proud to support EMS providers and managers through the sponsorship and the support of what we do. Show your support for them, guys. Go take a few minutes and sign up for this free trial at emsmanager.net. Show them that you appreciate their support by trying out the software. Okay, it's free. It's customizable. Don't wait any longer. This is going to save you money and time. Visit emsmanager.net. It's for a Latex EMS Manager for Online Employee Scheduling and Workforce Management. And if you do sign up, please let them know 
You heard it right here at EMS Office Hours, okay? They love getting shout-outs and letting, letting them know that you appreciate their support for us. So let them know you heard it here, guys, at EMS Office Hours, okay? Again, emsmanager.net. Okay, so the next um, podcast I want to highlight, it might be one you don't hear too much about, but I think a, a very popular podcast in my circles anyway, and something that is important, okay? It's the E-Myth Leadership Podcast, and this is episode 106, and then they called it Quality, Quality, Quality. Now, you can go listen to the full episode over at emithleadership.com, um, but of course I have a link, as always, below, and Chris Sel- Selbo, oh my god, I'm messing it up, Chris Sebolero, Sebolero, oh my god, I'm sorry Chris, having a tongue-tied day here, anyway, he was partnered with Bruce Evans in this episode, and you know, QA, QI is always a popular topic, and Bruce and Chris talk about QAQI in this episode, and I cut a little piece out here where Bruce talks about something called EMS Rekindle. Do you know what this is? I didn't until he mentioned it, and he made very good points about what that is. So go find out what EMS Rekindle is and get some other tips on creating a really great, um, worthwhile QAQI program that measures success. So let's take a listen to this little cutout of the podcast, and if QAQI is important to you and your agency, and you're looking to maybe improve it or get a better idea on how to handle it, go check out the entire podcast. Let's take a listen to Chris and Bruce. That I had there was what I like to call the EMS rekindle, and that is anytime an ambulance returns to the same address within 24 hours. And I think we'd all agree that if you're in a leadership position, you know that that is a risk management opportunity for you um, to either contain it or to um, probably uh, experience an unpleasant situation of a work through with a complaint and a bad outcome. So it often means a misdiagnosis or it means a a patient that is a repeat uh, service provider or repeat uh, service user that could have an alternative pathway, which community paramedic, uh, a community paramedic program could influence. And, but nonetheless, if that ambulance returns to that same address within 24 hours, you've got to think that something was missed on the patient or that, again, something happened um, that uh, is going to bring an unfavorable outcome to that, that patient. So I think um, you know, putting more sophisticated computer systems in um, certainly, first watch is by far, like I said, the platinum standard on that. And then, where is the education occurring with this? Um, as I told you before, you know where all this got started with was with a, a NHTSA program and um, some mavens in the uh, quality improvement business, like uh, Mike Tagman, uh, Mick Gunderson, and those folks went around and uh, did a lot of classes. And then well, we've had a lull here for a few years. And um, you know, to Lori Moore's credit and to the IFS credit. Um, Lori had uh, put down uh, 10 or 20 years ago a set of performance standards for fire-based EMS and had promoted that to the union officials and uh, local uh, presidents. And, and uh, I, would, I would say that uh, it was brilliant information and uh, had fire-based organizations all signed on to that uh, when Lori put that out there as cutting-edge information at the time. 
um, the Firebase DMS would have a, a rock solid quality improvement history. Um, and unfortunately, um, you know, we need to resurrect some of those programs and some of the institutional knowledge that was put down, but yet maybe not uh, completely uh, embraced. And again, it was a cultural change and a cultural shift. And I think in many in many uh, problems, or one of the problems that we're trying to cross here, or, is that culturally, I I think that everybody thinks they do a good job, and certainly when people come to work, they want to do a good job, and but you really don't know if you're doing a good job until it's measured. And that is something that we're, we're still having to cross that chasm with and try to, uh, try to build a, a little bit more of a cultural understanding that you have to be measured and you have to be looked at and you have to be compared against your neighbors and compared against the national standard. And so where do we go for some of that? Um, the National Fire Academy has actually put out some uh, a great program now. It's called Hot Topics in EMS. And basically, it walks you through the dynamic process, which is one of the uh, uh, quality improvement uh, processes that you can apply to an organization. It's a six-day class. Uh, Mick Gunderson was kind of the uh, one of the SMEs on that, um, so it's got uh, you know mixed philosophies and his expertise of many years of quality improvement um, st you know, study and implementation, uh, um, and it, that's a, a course a free class. Uh, as for people that don't know how to get into the fire academy, it's on the U.S. Fire Administration's website. And you know the great thing about it is you go there and uh, they provide your housing, and there's no cost for the class. And you know, the only expense that your agency has is really to backfill your position and to provide your meal ticket. Um, they even pay for your plane fare and pick you up at the airport and drive you up to the academy. Um, I think there's uh, certainly a lot of consultants out there. As uh, I think it's probably fair to disclose, I do work for Fitch and Associates, and uh, Jay has uh, always had a, a, a solid quality improvement background from a, a consulting standpoint to bring that expertise to an organization that uh, may be struggling with that. So there's a there's a lot of opportunity out there right now, but unfortunately, what we don't have is you know what I would call some kind of uh, you know, guidebook. Now, the National Association of EMS Physicians had put out uh, a quality improvement handbook many years ago, and it's certainly in a lot of their uh, textbooks and written material. But you go back and you look at uh, a lot of that material, and you see a lot of theory in there, and you see a lot of hospital practice um, that's put in by mainly teaching institutions. And while it's great information, I would call some of it, um, you know, fairly uh, uh, sterile. And so I think that uh, what's what's coming out there, and uh, again, uh, I, I think that it's probably uh, long overdue as, you know, kind of a street medicine or a down and dirty, you know, quality improvement book of how to do things on the, you know, from a standpoint of, you know, real world cases. And I think that's the next step is to get something out there that really talks about these are what the real-world cases are, the uh, Memphis Fire Departments and the cross-pollination with FedEx, the, uh, the temporal demands that Fort Worth is doing, the, uh, the uh, uh, patient, uh, repeat patient uh, using uh, users in uh, the San Diego system, the, uh, the, the, uh, the problem-solving unit that was put together by DC Fire many years ago about um, that reduced a significant portion of uh, their call volume based on uh, the same people calling over and over again. 
Um, so I think there's, you know, when people see that there's real-world cases and there's best practices out there and there's accumulation of best practices and how all these best practices ultimately tie into something like the dynamic process, the Six Sigma process, um, those are all ultimately going to, you know, tip this over and then put us into the same, uh, put us on the same playing field as the hospitals and other healthcare providers. Well, there certainly is a lot of great models, and you know. As you All right, I don't care who you are. That is some pretty good information, right there, guys. Listen, um, these podcasts, on average, are between thirty minutes and an hour. Okay, I know we don't all have time to sit down and listen to four, five, six podcasts a week. Okay, I don't have that time either. But what I do try to do is download these to my smartphone. And when I'm at the gym, when I'm in the car, when I'm sitting in the ambulance, not doing anything, okay, I listen to this stuff. And you may say, oh, my God, Jim, how much time do you have? How much EMS stuff can you absorb? You know what? There is a lot in EMS that we can listen to and we can absorb and enjoy, okay? And podcasts, I think, are becoming more and more popular and when you've got great content like I'm showing you today getting put out there on a regular basis, I think it's important to show you support for all these podcasters. You know, we're not getting paid big money for this stuff. We're not getting paid, okay, anything, right? But we enjoy doing it. We want to get the information out there to you, the provider, you, the professional, to help you in your day-to-day job, to help you think about changes in the industry and what's going on in your profession, so make sure you take a listen, guys. And when you listen to these podcasts, every one of them has a place below where you can leave a quick comment or suggestion or feedback on that particular show or the podcast in general. So I encourage you, give us some feedback, leave us some comments, like it, share it, tweet it, okay? Show us some love. Now, of course, I saved what is, in my opinion, the best for last, and that is a best of EMS office hours episode for the ProMed Network. And this one, uh, popular on the the site, has uh, some of the m- most downloads right now. So I thought I would highlight a, a, a nice little you know, five, ten minute chunk here of the show. And we talked about EMT, paramedic, or just driving Miss Daisy. Okay, what the hell does that mean? Well, this episode, we sort of revisited what EMS providers are called and if it even matters what we're called. You know, EMT, paramedic, ambulance driver, what does it matter, right? Well, Josh points out in this little clip here about the public perception and how it ends up being an uphill battle for us to get the public to understand what we do and how that understanding and that perception reflects what we end up being called. So let's take a listen to Josh, of course, me, in this little snippet here of EMS Office Hours. It might not be the right time to approach that subject, but, you know, when when somebody's uh, standing around, and I've always said it, you know, more importantly, what are we trying? We're fighting an uphill bub- uh, battle of public perception. So who do, who's the people, who's the low-hanging fruit here? Who's easy targets? 
Easy targets are friends and family. Because how many of your friends and family really don't know the difference or discount, you know, what you do? Yeah. I mean, I've told this story before about, you know, we were sitting around at a, at a family gathering, and my sister-in-law said, oh, you know, uh, well, it's a good thing the police are there because uh, they can handle that because your job isn't that dangerous. And I'm like, what? what? Yeah. Yeah, you know, my job isn't that dangerous, right, you know, and uh, and it's sort of another thing, you know, another pet peeve of mine to uh, shadow from last, uh, our last episode was, uh, that I didn't mention, how come line of duty deaths in EMS, you know, a cop gets killed, and it's always a tragedy when a service member, regardless of what their profession, gets killed you know, is dies on the line of duty, okay? It's, it, they, they gave their all, you know, uh, all give some, some give all. But how many times, you know, do you, you see them pop up on Facebook or pop up in EMS 1 or, or, you know, the fire news or something about, uh, about a first responder, an EMS first responder losing their life? Um, and if you go to the National EMS website, National Memorial EMS website, they have a they have a whole page of uh, line of duty death. How many times do you hear about that in the paper or see it on the news? Like never. I mean, are we not even worth mentioning when somebody gives the ultimate, you know, makes the ultimate sacrifice? Yeah, I mean, I think most of the time you see that happening. Any kind of blurb you do see, it's because of a helicopter uh, incident, you know. And it's usually only local news. And I think it's I, that might be because you know it's a different. Um, most of the time, when a police officer dies, it's because they were shot or killed in a violent act, as opposed to most of the time when somebody from EMS. Know, gets killed it's because of an ambulance accident or a helicopter crash you know it's not because they've been shot to death or whatever I mean we had an incident up here where they, they were shooting firefighters and stuff like that and that made the news for a little while you know because these guys are getting shot you know right um, but you know the stuff gets sort of gets you know squashed a little bit you know and the question is you know if it hadn't been for the um, the school shooting, as being so close to that, uh, would that have even made the news? Yeah. You know, the national news, would that even hit there? And, yeah, of course, you know, I don't, you know, it was firefighters. I don't remember if there was any EMS that was killed in that incident. I don't think so, no. Right. So, you know, um, not to take away from that incident, but um, I... What does it matter if you're if you're serving if you're in a line of duty? You know, firefighters from around the country when they die in, in an accident, they I mean, even a heart attack after the job, that sometimes gets yeah. to play in the national news. I think it's I think you know it's what sells the views. You know, what gets people to the to the channel to the website to the the newspaper to whatever it is, that's what ends up selling. I mean, I think about daily, I mean, I, I belong to the EMS1 uh, newsletter, the GEMS newsletter, and right. and I get, you know, numerous emails a day from the, right. their news feeds. Right. And, you know, nine times out of the ten, the, 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 the title that they, they're giving is they try to sensationalize it a little bit, you know. What? Um, 
to get you to open the email, to get you to go to the website. But yeah. what's the takeaway from that? So if it's a police officer killed or it's a firefighter killed, even if the guy is uh, out of shape and a coronary looking for a place to happen and he finds his time in the sun, so to speak, that makes the news. When EMS dies, it doesn't. So what the takeaway is we're really not worth it. Well, I think part of that, dude, I think is it's something that goes on in EMS is we don't have, you know, uh, very good PR. We don't have people in charge of that. You know, fire departments and police agencies, you know, across the country have people who are in charge of public relations and it's public relations for stuff like that, public relations for jobs that they've done. Um, this is why when you've got things that go on in a certain area and, you know, a, a, an infant, let's say, that goes into cardiac arrest and, and the firefighters get there and they, they you know how they revive the kid, you know. Right. Or even if they don't and they just start CPR and then the paramedics get it there afterwards and, and, and transport the child and they get the pulses back. The fire department, you know, public relations, you know, arm are going to make it sound like and make it look like the firemen did everything. So then when the, right. that's when and then when the blurb comes out in paper, the people that write the newspaper these articles don't realize it. You know, they're writing it based upon what sort of whatever press release they're getting, whatever, you know, blurb they're getting from the public relations uh area. I mean it was a um a recent um uh post on a blog and, and, and back and forth between um, uh, um, I think it was Skip Kirkwood. I think said I got to look it up. But they the guy called the ambulance drivers, and they went back and forth. You know, there was a there was a whole thing. With well, that was because an ER doc came to our defense. The the person who wrote the article saying, "Hey, you know what? You should know. You should know a little bit more and respect the profession a little bit more." Um, uh, was an ER doc who wrote that, who wrote the thing. Skip uh, brought it out to the, either knew the guy or, or found or, or saw it and brought it out to the uh, general awareness. Yeah. But, you know, full circle back, so the question that we ask is, what's the damage? Is there a problem? Is a rose by any other name still a rose? And I, I maintain that using... A, a sort of dumbed-down term to describe what we do is damaging, and I come from the I come from sort of that counter angle to say, you know what? Because public perception is so freaking important, and it's confusing enough. It's like John wrote in the chat room. He said, uh, "I'm a basic emergency medical technician." And, you know, I was looking at that, and even if I sit back from the computer, that's a line that takes up the entire length of the chat. And it's a lot. It's a lot to verbal, a lot to put in your mouth. You, you can't, can't say it with uh, – you, you can't, can't, you can't say, say it the public understand what, it, what that means. What does that mean, basic? You know, you, right. I mean, listen, if I'm having a heart that attack – Is the same as says, an ER tech? Yes, if I'm having a heart attack and some guy comes over to me and he goes, hey, I'm, uh, sir, I'm here. I'm a basic emergency medical technician. I'd be like, basic? I want the advanced guy. Right. I, and you're using advanced because vocabulary is singed into. I want, 
I want, you know, the professional. I want whatever I want, basic yeah. is. Right. You know? I want I want the next, yeah, basic. I don't want somebody basic. I want somebody that's not yeah. basic. What, you're just learning? Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. And, and that's part of the problem, I think, that goes along in line with everything with, with this, is trying to come up with something to, you know, agree on. Why come up with we have, you know what, you just get the mix in the world to, to back off and to let up a little bit and share the name. Say, you know what, it's okay for everybody to be called medic. You know, you want to be, you want to differentiate that with basic and advanced, great, but you're still a medic. So that old back cry, you know, uh, you know, Joe's been shot, you know, medic, call the mix, get the medics here. It's a universal thing, and in the army, the med have a very different role. They do a lot of different things that we don't, yeah. uh, and do some things, and, and we do a lot of shit that they don't. But they're right. still called medics, you know. And yeah. and uh, it's it comes down to what is in the name, and well, I say a lot. There's two, there's two points I want to make before we wrap up. Okay, listen, that is it for this show. Again, this was a recording. It's a short block just for the podcast here, guys. Um, you know, again, uh, I try to do these little things, kind of jazz it up a little bit, so it's not just all the time me and Josh rehashing the same stuff or talking about um, current topics. I think sometimes it's important to go back and reflect on what we've already talked about and to look at other podcasters and other content out there and give them some highlights and let people know what they're talking about on their podcast. So if you don't listen to those podcasts and you're just an EMS Office Hour uh, follower, then go check out those other podcasts, okay? Jamie Davis, John Broyles, Greg Freed, and Chris Cebolero. All right, go check them all out on their podcast, guys, and let them know that I gave them a shout-out here in EMS Office Hours, and let them know that you enjoy their shows as much as you enjoy EMS Office Hours. Listen, if you have any quick thoughts, comments, questions, suggestions for an EMS Office Hours episode that you would like to see here on the show, send it over to me. My email is jhoff at emsseo.com. Be sure to let me know what you want to hear on EMS Office Hours as well. Be sure to follow me on Twitter, guys. We are at, at EMS Safety on Twitter. On Facebook, we're at facebook.com forward slash EMS Office Hours. Guys, that's it for me. Until next week, as always, Jim Hoffman, stay safe. <laughs>